said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Andrew Russell. Our topic for today is called The Health Reformer. The Bible deals extensively with the topic of health reform. And yet I would dare to say that it is the least preached and therefore the least understood topic in the Christian church today. Would you agree with that? And yet health reform has always played a vital part in the purposes of God and the plan of salvation. Always. Throughout Scripture we'll see it. Health reform played a vital part in the purpose of God and the salvation of men. Even in the early Christian church, the followers of Christ were expected to follow dietary laws that were consistent with what God had prescribed to the Israelites in the book of Leviticus. You aware of that? In the early Christian church, New Testament, in the book of Acts, we read the words of James, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said this, and he said this relating to the new converts to Christianity. He said, wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them. That was the new Gentile converts, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. And we see that there. So there it is in the early church. Those dietary laws, as we just read there, forbid the consumption of things that were, that were not killed in the prescribed manner in the book of Leviticus. For example, the blood of an animal had to be drained before the flesh could be eaten. That was a practice of the Christian church. The blood of the animal had to be drained before it could be eaten. It's known as kosher meat, isn't it? You've heard of kosher? That was a requirement for the Christian church. Do you think it's a requirement for us today? Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Meat shouldn't be eaten if it hasn't had the blood drained from it first. Those dietary requirements also forbid the eating of uh, unclean animals such as the pig or creatures from the sea that don't have both fins and scales. And I know I've, I've, we've talked about this in the past. Um, but these, these are all related to those dietary laws and regulations that God gave to the children of Israel. As I considered the Christian community's inapt understanding of God's commitment to health reform, talking about the broader Christian church now, and the practices of the early church, I searched to see if any other churches shared similar convictions to those that we have as a Seventh-day Adventist community of faith. I found this statement. In Nicene Christianity, including Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, Lutheranism, Anglicanism, and Reformed Christianity, there exists no dietary restrictions regarding specific animals that cannot be eaten. So here are some of the mainstream and well-known churches... And yet there exist in these churches no dietary restrictions regarding specific animals that cannot be eaten. And this stems from 
Peter's, Peter the Apostle's vision of a sheet with animals described in the Bible. In Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, when St. Peter was told that what God hath made clean, that call not thou common. Anyone familiar with Peter's vision there? Okay. Was that vision in relation to food, clean and unclean, yes or no? No. Thank you. We've got some good Bible scholars here. What was it in relation to? It was in relation to not calling Gentiles unclean. Okay. Not calling Gentiles unclean. That's the context. It didn't have to do with food. In fact, Peter's own conviction when he saw the unclean animals, the vision, he didn't want to eat. But what God was trying to tell him was that he was, uh, that those that were converted to him through Christ were washed clean of their sins, whether, the, whether they belonged to the Jewish nation or not. And so that's actually what that vision was about. And so there is a great misapplication, a great misinterpretation and application of that vision. And that's why the churches don't, at large don't have a correct understanding of the dietary requirements contained in Scripture. It goes on to say the statement, The Seventh Adventist Church follows the Old Testament's Mosaic law on dietary restrictions, which is also the basis for the Jewish dietary laws. They only eat meat of a herbivore, with split hooves and birds, without a crop and without webbed feet. They also do not eat shellfish of any kind, and they only eat fish with scales. Any other animal is considered unclean and not suitable for eating. All vegetables, fruits, and nuts are allowed. Old Testament's Mosaic law, but we read about the New Testament, and it's making reference to those very laws, and the Christian church followed it. It uses the word there, dietary restrictions. Does that have a positive or negative spin to it? A bit of a negative spin, is it? What, what, what's another word we could use there? Dietary what? Dietary requirements, dietary regulations. That makes a little bit more sense, isn't it? So there are dietary regulations in Scripture that we find now in the Old Testament and the New Testament that apply, that apply to the Christian church. So they mentioned the Seventh-day Adventist Church here. Why the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Why the Seventh-day Adventist Church? So today we're going to answer that question from the Scriptures, and then we're going to go into greater depth on the topic of health reform as it applies to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Let's read Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. Okay, notice what it says. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the when? Even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and what's going to happen? And knowledge shall be increased. Remember that, underscore that. Now, when is the time of the end? 7098. How do we know, Sandra? <laughs> we find it in verse 7. We find it in verse 7. Okay. Verse 7 says, And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand. This is, of course, Daniel is receiving these things in vision. He sees this man, the prophet Daniel, that is. And he left, uh, um, and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time times and and half 
and when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. So it makes a reference here of a time, times, and a half a time. Now some of us are familiar with that, aren't we? That's a reference, that's a Jewish language referring to three and a half prophetic years or 1,200 prophetic days contained in, uh, in, those, in those prophetic years. Okay, 1,260 prophetic days equals 1,260 years. So for those who have studied this time application, you know this is a reference to the 1,260-year prophetic time period. That time period deals with what? It deals with the supremacy and tyranny of the Roman papacy during the Middle Ages. Isn't that right? That's what it deals with. It's a prophecy regarding the supremacy and tyranny of the Roman papacy during the Middle Ages. And if we look at that time chart, which I've shared previously here, 1260 years, you can see the papacy rose to power in 538 AD and it received a deadly wound, according to Revelation 13, in 1798 AD, exactly 1260 years. So, Sandra, you're right. 1798 marks the time of the end. The time of the end, the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven. And swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are therein and the earth and the things that, are, that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time what? Open. It must have previously been what? Closed. And if you read in the very next chapter, you'll find again the mention of the 1260 year period in reference now to this angel. So we see the parallel between Daniel 12 and Revelation uh, chapter 10. And notice, um, notice the command of Christ now who comes down and op- with, the, with the open book. Notice the command of Christ and the reason why the book should be opened. In verse 11 and then over into chapter 11 verse 1 it says, And he said unto me, Thou must what? Prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And it says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. Notice it says, He said, Thou must prophesy again. That word must means it's an imperative, it has to take place. It must go forward. Isn't that right? So there is a knowledge of an additional prophecy that God wants to open up, in particular in the book of Daniel. What was that prophecy? The 1260-year prophecy was already there. It was already prophesied. But after 1798, the light of another prophecy was to come to light from the book of Daniel. Christ came to open up. What was it? What's the prophecy that was opened up to the church post-1798? The cleansing of the sanctuary. Think the 2,300-day prophecy. This was opened up to William Miller. Isn't that right? 
This was opened up to a man by the name of William Miller. And so began the Advent movement. And so began the Advent movement. This prophecy contained the knowledge that in 1844, Christ would begin the work of the investigative judgment in heaven. And that a final opportunity was now upon the church and the world to secure eternal life. Now, at the time of the end, final opportunity for the church and for the world to secure eternal life. And since 1844, the Seventh Adventist movement arose and has been preaching this message. Can you see... Can you see both the books of Daniel and the book of Revelation marks the time of the end and the rise of the Seventh-day Adventist movement? That's incredible. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? You're sitting here because Christ ordained it to be that way. You're sitting here because Christ called you into His movement. He's the one that opened the book. Seventh-day Adventist movement in Scripture. I was with a gentleman last night, and uh, actually it was my cousin. I've been studying with my cousin, and he's received the Sabbath. Praise the Lord. And so last week and last night, we opened up Sabbath together again. It was his second time he opened up Sabbath. And he, he raised the question of changing churches. What was my response? I said to him, brother, the Lord doesn't see denominations. There's only one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Amen? It's not a question of changing churches. It's a question of recognizing who you are in the light of Scripture. Recognizing who you are in the light of Scripture. Who are we in the light of Bible prophecy? We are a movement raised by Christ Himself. The Seventh-day Adventist Church doesn't subscribe to denomination. Yes, we're an organization because we have to be organized, right? But we recognize that this movement is not an exclusive movement, but it's open to all, isn't it? It's a movement that Christ raised for the salvation of men this world over. For the salvation of man this world over. Now, knowledge would increase. Knowledge then would increase upon the Seventh-day Adventist church. The Seventh-day Adventist people. Are you with me? Because at the time of the end, knowledge would increase. And one of those things that was given to the Adventist people besides the knowledge of the judgment, besides the knowledge of the Sabbath, was the knowledge of health reform. Was the knowledge of health reform. Let me ask you, does the book of Daniel deal with the topic of health reform, yes or no? Yes. Absolutely. It talks about Daniel's diet and his convictions, isn't it? When did God give Daniel that wisdom to move in the path of health reform? What was taking place at the time? Wasn't he under the oppressing power of Babylon? 
Amen? Doesn't the Bible talk about the oppressing power of Babylon once again at the time of the end? Yes or no? Amen. So God opens up to us the topic of health reform. I want to share with you some of that knowledge, particularly as it came to the Seventh-day Adventist Church um, through the uh, prophetic office of Ellen White. You see, we just read in Revelation chapter 11, verse 1, that, that there was a command to measure the temple. Isn't that right? Measure the temple. What does that mean? When John received that vision, there was no temple in Jerusalem. It had been destroyed. So what temple is measured here? Heavenly temple? Yeah? Is that it? We are the temple of the Lord, isn't that right? There is this, there is this ap dual application. Yes, the, what we call the antitype of the, of the Jerusalem temple at once was. Yes, there is a heavenly temple. But the temple now becomes God's people. God's spiritual house. God's spiritual house. And to us is given great light. From 1844 to 1863, Ellen White experienced between 100 and 200 visions. That's in less than 20 years. She had between 100 and 200 visions, typically in public places and meeting halls. So they were always very public when she would fall into a trance, when she, as the church went on to believe that God had given her this gift of prophecy. Of course, not as someone that adds anything new to Scripture, but as one who helps the church to understand the hidden gems of Scripture. She elaborated on the Scriptures, added nothing new to it. It was a Friday evening, June the 5th, 1863. Ellen and James White entered the home of, the, of Aaron Hilliard and his family at Otsego, Michigan in the United States. Here they would open the Sabbath together. Now, just 16 days earlier, just 16 days earlier, the general conference was organized in Battle Creek, marking the official establishment of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, just 16 days earlier. But now she, she visits this family on a Friday evening to open up Sabbath uh, with them. The reason why uh, Ellen and James White came there was because they were coming to this area to support an evangelism series that was being run there at the time. But they decided to open up uh, Sabbath with the Hilliard family. It was here that Ellen White fell into what would be uh, a vision and a number of visions to do with the topic of health reform. And I want you to notice uh, the first vision here. It says, Last evening while engaged, as she writes, in family prayer at Brother Hilliard's, the blessing of the Lord rested upon us, and I was taken in vision. I was shown some things in regard to my husband and myself. I saw that now we should take special care of the health God has given us, for our work was not yet done. Satan was persevering in his efforts to destroy what? 
to destroy our usefulness. You see, the, the issue was that, that Ellen and James, they labored tirelessly for the Lord. James White was suffering from exhaustion because of the uh, amount of responsibility that he took upon himself. And, and this vision, this was the first major vision on health God gave to it was for their sake. And God began to shed light in that vision, much of which Ellen White opened up the next day and, 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 and later on she continued to refer to this vision. Um, but she knew and she was shown that Satan sought to destroy the usefulness of these God-fearing people. Do you think Satan is able to destroy our usefulness as well if we allow him? Absolutely. Do you think he wants to do that? Amen. He doesn't want us to be useful. He does not want you to be a useful member of the church. Absolutely not. He's out to destroy. And so Sister White was given this. Manuscript releases there, 1.1863. She was also shown this as she writes. She says, Between the mind and the body, there is a mysterious and wonderful relation. They react upon each other. To keep the body in a healthy condition, to develop its strength, that every part of the living machinery may act harmoniously, should be the what? First study of our life. Our health should be the first study of our life. Our health and our body. This comes directly from Jesus to the Seventh-day Adventist people. Amen? Mind and body should, have, should be well balanced. Should be well balanced. She received a second vision not long after and they established... Uh, a, uh, the first health institution um, just a few years later after this, after this vision. And so began the, the life, uh, or the, oh, sorry, I should say the life, of the, well, the life of the church in the health ministry. And of course, the Seventh-day Adventist has, a church has a rich history of the development of institutions like the sanitariums in which the health um, the health uh, reform movement was, uh, was captured from Scripture and men and Adventists began to, particularly with, uh, with Ellen White being quite influential in, in the visions that were given her and the knowledge God gave in relation to what the Bible talks on the topic of health, they began to, not, began to follow those health principles and to bring and began to restore health to many that were sick. To many that were sick. People would come from other parts of the world to the Seventh-day Adventist sanitariums to get treated for their health. To get treated for their health. Ministry of Healing, she writes, Grains, fruits, nuts and vegetables constitute the diet chosen for us by our Creator. These foods prepared in as simple and natural a manner as possible are the most healthful and nourishing. They impart strength. Who needs strength? Power of endurance. Doesn't the Bible say that he that endures to the end shall be saved? 
Do we need endurance? Amen. And vigor of intellect. What kind of intellect do you think she's talking about there? Spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment. See, the mind and the body is, is intimately connected. And so what we put in our bodies affects our minds and affects our ability to discern. Have you ever found someone in the church that you thought was pretty stupid when it came to spiritual things? Can't we? we can all say that, can't we? Right? Do you wonder why they seem spiritually dwarfed? Could it be, I just asked the question, could it be that their diet or their health uh, or their neglect of certain health practices has something to do with that? Could it be that the neglect of our health can lead us to not choose salvation in Christ? Could it be? Could it be? that our neglect of health could affect our minds to the point where we would even reject the salvation that offer, is offered to us through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You think your diet has nothing to do with the decisions you make? Think again. Think again. God wants to speak. That's why Daniel chose the reformatory diet. He knew he had to be spiritually discerning in order to know how God was going to lead him and deliver him from that oppressive power of Babylon. That oppressive power of Babylon. His life was at stake. And vigor of intellect that are not afforded by a more complex and stimulating diet. Complex and stimulating diet means eating foods that... I didn't bring a statement on this, I should have really, but I had so many statements I thought, oh, you know, I've got a lot to get through. But Sister White talks about foods that stimulate what she refers to as animalistic propensities. Anyone here read that before? Animal passions, she calls it, where, where our behavior is is likened to that of animals. In other words, in other words, humans are given the ability to think cognitively, aren't we? We are given the ability to reason from cause to effect. Animals operate mostly off instinct. They don't really have that tremendous ability that humans have. That's what distinguishes us between uh, distinguishes the human race from animals. Okay? But when we follow a stimulating diet, when we eat foods that stimulate or that, that prevent us from reasoning correctly, that, that dwarf our spiritual discernment, then our behavior follows suit and we act out behaviors that are not consistent with the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. We engage in sin, in other words, because of the foods we eat. If, you have a struggle, if you're struggling with certain temptations, Jesus said what? Fast and pray. 
Jesus even knew the, you know, sometimes you just need to, in order to get that spiritual intellect, you needed to do something in order to become discerning, in order to overcome what Satan has tried to bind you with. Let me read to you again. You know, she received another vision here. She writes, I saw that it was a sacred duty to attend our health. A what? A sacred duty to attend our health and arouse others to their duty. Am I arousing you to your duty today? Yes or no? Amen. Amen. The reason I arouse you to your duty is because the Lord arouses me to my duty. Recognizing that He's arousing us to our duty. You know, God has been persevering with me and being very long-suffering with me and being very merciful toward me as I try to apply this light to my life and have failed at times again and again. Anyone here have that experience? But you know what? We must never give up. We must believe for the saving of the soul. We must believe that Jesus is able to accomplish in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit what we are unable to accomplish. Sister White says, let it be war and war to the very end. For we are not wrestling with the flesh, but we are wrestling with what? Principalities and powers. You're not even wrestling with yourself. We are wrestling with spiritual wickedness in high places. She goes, I saw that it was our sacred duty to attend our health and arouse others to their duty. Many act as though they had a right to treat their own bodies as they please. They do not realize that God has what? Claims upon them. They are required to glorify Him in their bodies and spirits, which are what? Or whose? Which are His. It is a sacred duty which God has enjoined upon reasonable beings formed in His image to keep that image in as what? Perfect a state as possible. Sacred duty. A sacred duty. That's why we read in 1 Corinthians our scripture reading this morning. Thank you, Mana, for sharing that. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? Paul is asking the question almost, it's almost sarcastically, isn't it? <laughs> what? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You are not your own, for you are bought with a what? With a price. What's that price? Jesus died for us. The precious blood of Jesus. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are what? Which are God's? Which are God's? So she got that notion from Scripture that it is our sacred duty. You know, Andrews University presented a paper in which it characterized Ellen White's visions of health. It listed a number of things. Let me run through them with you. 
Number one here, I've got ingestion of deleterious food, drink, harmful substance. Anyone know what the word deleterious means? Delicious? Delicious? No. (laughs) Harmful. Thank you. Someone said it. It means harmful. Thanks, Wes. It means harmful. Okay. Insufficient physical exercise or a lack of the right kind of exercise. Speaks on that too. Overwork. Often coupled with insufficient rest, relaxation. May the Lord really help me with this one. (laughs) Often coupled with insufficient rest, relaxation. Feeding the mind upon impure thoughts. And they quote... Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report. What does the Bible say? Think on. Think on these things. So councils of Sister White even go into what our mind thinks upon. What do we watch? What do we entertain with our minds? Is it true? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good report? You are not your own. Improper posture, she talks about. How do you sit? How do you stand? Sister White even talks about how you breathe. Are you aware of that? How you breathe. There's a correct way to breathe. And she talks about abuse of body organs by overeating or eating too rapidly. Irregularity, irregularity in meal times. You should be eating really at the same time every day. Snacking between regular meals. I was with a lady last yesterday actually, and she said, Oh, Pastor, I really struggle with something. I eat these chocolate bullets. And I eat them between meals too. And I can eat a whole packet, Pastor. I could sympathize with her. I said, Sister, no. That battle. I know that battle. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Overexertion, straining, or constriction. Do you know that Sister White even talks about the light that God gave her? If she even talks about the type of clothing that you wear, if they're too tight, how it restricts the blood. We live in a time where people love to wear tight clothing, isn't it? They love it. Even the men. Skinny jeans. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, it's a message of health reform given to us. Praise the Lord. Talks about failure to employ natural remedies in sufficient amounts. We're very quick to run even to the doctor. And yet God has given us such natural remedies for our use. We ought to become educated in these things. We ought to avoid poisonous substances. That's why deleterious foods such as alcohol, tobacco, tea and coffee were to be avoided. You read this counsel from Sister White here. Counsels on diets and foods, that's what CD stands for. She writes, the stimulating diet and drink of this day are not conducive to the best state of health. 
tea, coffee and tobacco are all stimulating and contain poisons. They are not unnecessary, sorry, they are not only unnecessary but harmful and should be discarded if we would add to knowledge temperance. What's temperance? Temperance is abstaining from that which is harmful and being moderate in that which is good. Through the use of stimulants, the whole system suffers. Now, science even knows that, even calls these things stimulants today. And she was using this word way back then, when science didn't even know these things. Through the use of stimulants, the whole system suffers. The nerves are unbalanced. The liver is morbid in its action. The quality and circulation of the blood are affected. And the skin becomes inactive and sallow. Affects your skin. The mind too is what? Is injured. Is injured. Tea and coffee drinking is a sin. An injurious indulgence, which like other evils, injures the soul. Another vision, and I think that's very clear, isn't it, brothers and sisters? There are ministers, brothers and sisters, that don't know what I'm sharing with you here today. Sad to say, but I have come across. And that's not a, that's not a thing of condemnation. It's just that we are so ignorant sometimes as a people of the light of health reform that Jesus has given to the Seventh-day Adventist movement. This vision in 1871, December 10, 1871. Um, Actually, before I read this, she said something else. She says, I was again shown that the health reform is one branch of the great work which is to fit a people for the coming of the Lord. She goes on to say, flesh was never the best food. We've talked about this in the past. The original diet that God gave was a plant-based diet. But its use is now what? Doubly objectionable. This is in the late 1800s, brothers and sisters. We're like moved past 100 years from then. But its use is now doubly, doubly objectionable. Since disease in animals is so rapidly what? Increasing, those who use flesh foods little know what they are eating. Often if they could see the animals when living and know the quality of the meat they eat, they would turn from it without loathing. She's saying if you saw the condition of the animals, if you saw how they lived, how they were treated, you would turn away from flesh eating. But brothers, sisters, and I say that we live in a day and an age when we do know how they live. We do get to see the state of the animals, don't we? We all have the internet, don't we? But some of us, when that, when that flashes up or someone sends that email through talking about the suffering of the animals as they're being transported... What do we do? Delete. 
Don't want to look at it. Lest I be convicted. People are continually eating flesh that is filled with tuberculosis and cancerous germs. Tuberculosis, cancer and other fatal diseases are thus communicated. Are thus communicated. She even adds, animals are often transported long distances and subjected to great suffering in reaching a market. Taken from the green pastures and travelling for weary miles over the hot dusty roads or crowded into filthy cars, feverish and exhausted, often for many hours deprived of food and water, the poor creatures are driven to their death that human beings may feast on the carcasses. So she's saying just how they're treated. They become sick. They become diseased. They become stressed. And if you know anything about animals under stress, they release certain toxins under stress. And we come along and then we eat that. And we wonder why sickness and prevails even amongst the church. Is there any difference between the sicknesses in the church and the sicknesses outside of the church? This is the reality. This is the reality. I love this letter that she writes to a church member because I think that it really applies to us as she's carrying forward the message of health reform. She writes to someone in the church there of her time. She says, you need to carry out the health reform in your life to deny yourself and eat and drink to the glory of God. That's the first angel's message, brothers and sisters. Isn't that right? The first angel of Revelation 14, verse 7, says, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. You need to carry out the health reform in your life to deny yourself and eat and drink to the glory of God. Abstain from fleshly lust. She's quoting from Scripture here. Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Confine yourself to what? A simple diet. And that applies here in our church, in our church lunches, brothers and sisters. I've said it before, I know I have. There needs to be reform. And I'm not pointing the fingers at anyone. I just want to say on that point as well, I mentioned how at our last Pathfinder Camporee, there was Kentucky that was born. Remember that? I feel, I feel a little bit of regret for saying that because my intention was not to point out anyone. We're in this together, aren't we? We're in this together, brothers and sisters. We need to encourage one another here. But it just came from my pastoral heart. I know how I struggle. I know how we struggle on the point of appetite. I know how this world struggles on the point of appetite. But let us not. Let us not make, it, let us not make the struggle harder for one another. Amen? Let us, not make, let us be the examples that we ought to be. I have a friend, a dear friend, and he says, 
that sometimes, you know, he craves certain foods and he knows it's, it's, it's unhealthy food, and, but he, he eats it and, and he, says, he says, but I will never ever eat that in front of the church. <laughs> if I'm going to fall, let me do it privately. And he says, and I don't understand those that just do it so openly in front of the church. Is there some sense to what he's saying? Yeah. Confine yourself to a simple diet which will preserve you in the best of condition of health is a task to you, she writes to this gentleman. Had you lived up to the light which heaven has permitted to shine upon your pathway, much suffering might have been saved your family. Your own course of action has brought the sure result. While you continue in this course, God will not come into your family and especially bless you and work a miracle to save your family from suffering. Because that's what we want, isn't it? When we get sick because of our own neglect, then we want to call on the Lord and call on the pastor and the elders, come do an anointing service and hope for a miracle. That's not to discourage you from calling upon the elders of the church. No, call. But if you know, when we go and we do an anointing service, the first thing we look for is, have you been living faithfully to the light that you have? And if not, have you made your repentance before the Lord? A plain diet free from spices and flesh meats and grease of all kinds would prove a blessing to you, she says to this gentleman. Oh, brothers and sisters. Oh, how I thank the Lord for the light that He's given us. The Lord would bring His people into a position where they will not touch or taste the flesh of dead animals. I think that's very clear. Now, there are a very small fraction amongst God's people that are unable to do this. Very tiny fraction because of health conditions and so forth. And sometimes to make a change uh, can actually be detrimental, okay? depending on the health condition. Okay? But generally speaking and overall, the Lord would bring His people into position where they will not touch or taste the flesh of dead animals. There is no safety in the eating of the flesh of dead animals. No safety in it, brothers and sisters. And in a short time, the milk of the cow will also be excluded from the diet of God's commandment keeping people. And if we haven't reached that time already since this was written, brothers, and I don't know if we're ever going to reach that time. Amen? And the most exciting foods are the ones that have dairy and sugar in it, isn't it? The worst combination, the health professionals tell us, is the combination of dairy and sugar. I have a confession to make for my wife here today. She doesn't know about it. <laughs> about two years ago, I did a health, went for a health check, and I always do that, you know, from time to time. And, and the doctor said, seems to me that you have a little bit of a fatty liver. And I said, oh, okay, what's that about? He said, look, it's nothing to, really to worry about. 
It's just a little bit. We've picked up on it. And he said, uh, you need to um, consider and make some changes. Now, he didn't really give me any information to go on. He just said, yeah, do this, you know, go get a scan or something. And Anyway, but I, I looked into it. And, uh, and a fatty liver particularly comes from a high diet of carbohydrates and sugar. And many people have fatty livers without even realizing it. And that's what leads to diabetes. That's what leads to certain heart conditions and heart disease. That's what leads to it. And I said to myself, Lord, you've got to help me here, Lord. Because I love bread. You know, like I love... But particularly white flour is what you need to stay away from. Right? And I'm glad that in my home we eat 90% of the time, 95% of the time really it's always wholemeal. Uh, you know, we don't really eat white bread hardly at all, except on the odd occasions. And so I recognize these things. But sugar and dairy is the worst combination that we can have according to health professionals. But the fact is, we've become addicted to it. Amen? Would be willing to, would we be willing to acknowledge that you can become addicted to sugar? It's, it's the greatest addiction that's around there. It's in everything. You can't pick up a tomato sauce bottle without knowing that there's a whole lot of sugar in that. Can of baked beans, even. Can of spaghetti. Sugar in everything. And then we wonder why we struggle with eating those foods. And she writes, in a short time, it will not be safe to use anything that comes from the animal creation. Nothing. Those who take God at his word and obey his commandments with a whole heart will be blessed. In transgressing the laws of health, brothers and sisters, we transgress the commandments of God. Which commandment do we transgress? Which one? Thou shalt not kill. Yeah, we kill ourselves. Isn't it? We shorten our lives. We even transgress the one that says, You shall have no other gods before me. The Bible talks about a people at the end of time that make their belly their God. Those who take God at His word and obey His commandments with a whole heart will be blessed. He will be their shield of protection. That's what the Lord desires for us. But the Lord will not be trifled with. Distrust, disobedience, alienation from God's will and way will place the sinner in a position where the Lord cannot give him his divine favor. Oh, may the Lord help us. It's not that God takes that position, it's that we place ourselves in that position. Brothers and sisters, in 1986, the National Health Federation posthumously bestowed its President's Award upon Ellen White in recognition of her pioneering efforts in the field of natural health. Isn't that incredible? What does the word posthumously mean? 
after she had died. So even a hundred years after much of our councils on health were, were written, a hundred years later, the National Health Federation in, of the United States of America recognized the tremendous light on health that this woman was given. I've read the article. They say that, they say that she, she would always say, I was shown, I was shown, I was shown. And they asked the question, how did she know these things? Long, long, long ahead of when science actually caught up to the light that was given her. And brothers and sisters, today we have people that are not even in the church that are practicing these things because they value life and they value health. How much more then should we as a people of God? Christ fought a tremendous battle with the enemy on the issue of health and appetite. Tremendous battle. And he fought it on your behalf and my behalf. Had he fallen on health there, guess what? The whole plan of salvation would have gone to pieces. You and I would not be here today as a result. Forty days and forty nights Jesus fasted. Asking for his Father to put in his heart such a conviction and a desire to carry forward His will, that nothing would stand in His way. And when Satan came along, Christ didn't crumble. Amen? He didn't crumble. Because what He asked of God in faith was given to Him. Was given to Him. But it was a tremendous battle fought on your behalf and my behalf. Christ had victory. Christ himself is the great health reformer. He's the great health reformer. He was there when he came to Daniel's aid. He was there when he came to the aid of Elijah. Elijah himself had to uh, uh, run into the wilderness, isn't he? Didn't he? Um, at, the, at a time when, when the oppressive force of, uh, of this unity between what was an apostate woman and the king at the time came upon him. He was fed, the Bible says, with meat in the wilderness, but after that he was taken out and he lived on a diet of what? Anyone remember? Bread and water, really, wasn't it? John the Baptist, the same, had to stand in view of the great Roman Empire preaching the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was appointed a diet of what? Locusts and honey. What was the locusts? They were carapods. Yeah. They were carapods, not, not those little things jumping around everywhere. Right? Okay. Right? But he had, he had diet reform. He was instructed in that even before he was born. His parents raised him that way, just like Daniel's parents raised him to know. 
the connection between the body and the mind. And brothers and sisters, it was given by Jesus when Christ led them out of Egypt, led his people out of Egypt, and they, and they came into the wilderness. Diet reform was part of their journey, wasn't it? Diet reform was part of their journey in order that they might make it to the promised land. Did they make it? Yes or no? Eventually, but it took the next generation to get there, wasn't it? Because their hearts were still in Egypt. So what is Jesus, who opens up the book, came down and opened up the book to increase great knowledge and the knowledge of health reform, particularly for the Adventist churches, we march forth as a light, as a light in this world. What is it that he requires of us today? What is it he requires of us today? What is it? Let me ask you, what does he require of us where we have been engaging in, 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 in lustful appetites? If we have allowed... Uh, if we have been re neglecting or even rejecting the light on health reform, what is it that Jesus requires of us today? Repentance. Repentance. For where we have made our belly our gods, where we have neglected our exercise, where we have neglected even getting fresh air and sunlight, where we have exhausted ourselves with work to the detriment of our health, He calls us to repentance. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that through Jesus, God affords us repentance and a new journey work, a new journey with Him as God's people of health reform? Can we say amen? Amen. This message was made available by Hoxton Park Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their Facebook page, Hoxton Park SDA Church. That is Hoxton, H-O-X-T-O-N, Park SDA Church. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.